Alright, let's make this quick. Halloween 5 fucking sucks. Podcast fucking over. Well, here we are. Halloween fucking five. The revenge of Michael Myers. Or at least Don Shanks in a stupid fucking mask. Look, I don't own this movie. Why on earth would I want to spend money to own this thing? That's like paying, I don't know, it's like paying to keep a skunk in your bathroom. I don't care if I'm getting a good deal on it. Every time I have to look at it, uh, it, it sprays all over my fucking face. I feel like one day I will buy this thing, and on that day I will be able to tell you Stockholm Syndrome is real. Um, I'm going to be a little harsh in this podcast. So if you saw, oh, this is a podcast episode about Halloween 5, uh, let me watch this because I really like that movie, and I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to like it too. If you're looking for somebody who likes it too or somebody who's going to be an apologist for it and defend it, uh I can't help you there. I don't have much to offer. Um, this is the first movie that I have reviewed in this uh, podcast that I just hate. If not for Loomis, I would be leading a fucking movement to get every copy of this thing destroyed. Thanks to Loomis, I try to like this movie. And, and truthfully, I'm being honest, in anticipation of this podcast episode... You know, I went back and revisited it, and I tried to like it again. It's not like I went into it with a mindset of, oh, I hate this thing. I'm never going to like it. You know, I have a closed mind, period. I want to like this movie. I don't know why. I tried to like it. Mission fucking not accomplished. Also, by the way, if you are somebody who likes this movie, what the fuck are you on? I will have some of what you're having. Um... Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I am half joking. I'm half joking about all this scorched earth shit. But the movie does piss me off. For a lot of reasons, and we're going to get into them. But right off the bat, Halloween 4 is one of the best movies in this franchise. And then one year later, this disaster comes out. Way to shit on everything that came before. Think about it. Halloween 1978, one of the greatest films ever made. Halloween 2, 1981, not my favorite movie, but it's definitely one of the more respectable slasher movies. Halloween 4 is an underrated classic that brought this franchise roaring back to life. I wasn't going to mention it, but Halloween 3, one of the best movies of the 80s, even if Michael Myers isn't there. Halloween 5? Halloween 5 is one of the worst slasher movies, and it's the first all-out embarrassment for this franchise. It's not surprising that the movie was as bad as it is. Because, as I said, this thing came out one year after Halloween 4. They started production when the script was still incomplete. They didn't have a fucking script for the movie. And here's the thing. I am all about auteur theory. I really am. I want the filmmaker to have control and make the movie they want to make. I even kind of like Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, and I go back and forth, and I have these seasons where I want to watch it, and I kind of like it, even though I know I fucking shouldn't, because at least he made a distinctive 
movie. He had an artistic vision. He had a goal in mind. He had something he wanted to accomplish, even if in doing so he was pissing fans off. This movie, this movie has no vision because of the dumbass director, Dominique. That's what I call him because I can't pronounce his last name and I never remember it. Uh, I, th I think it's, uh, what is it? Othenin Girard. I, I don't know how you pronounce that. He's a French dude. Dominique. That's what I'm going to call him. Before I, before I get too far into just slashing and burning on this thing, I want to say one thing. To be fair, yes, I'm going to shit all over this movie. And I'm really bothered by the fact that this director had zero vision for the movie. And I'm going to get into that more. But before I do that, I want to say that for all my frustrations with this movie, Dominique seems to be a decent guy. Yes, he made an absolute dumpster fire of a movie. But now he does a lot to raise awareness for Down Syndrome. And, and I just think it's important for us to recognize, not just with this franchise, but with any franchise, with any art, you can get mad at an artist, but separate the product from the producer. Dominique is not Halloween 5. It's what he made. And regardless of what I think of it, or what you think of it, or what anybody thinks of it, at this point in his life, he is doing some good work, and he seems to be a good guy. So I just want to say that, okay? So nothing that I'm going to say here is personal. But that being said, let's tear this fucking monstrosity apart. You know that thing where I open every episode by analyzing the opening credits as a microcosm for, for the movie? Yeah, it's, it's kind of nice. It gives us like a, a good, consistent place to start. Well, nope, not anymore, because this movie fucks it all to hell, because these opening credits are not a microcosm for this movie. Sure, okay, to give it credit, I'm glad that we're back to the jack-o'-lantern theme, I guess. And I think the imagery of the knife slashing around is kind of cool, but my praise for this thing, it ends there. These opening credits are overrated. The soundtrack is cheesy. It reminds me of, like, the, the bad 90s Disney Channel movies that, that I watched growing up. Not the good ones, okay? Don't, don't shit on Halloween Town. The bad 90s Disney Channel movies I watched growing up. And I do not want to associate a Halloween movie with a bad 90s Disney Channel movie. Anyway, you know... It's just, people talk about these opening credits like they're actually pretty good, but original credits, classic. Halloween 2, the skull twist, it's badass. Halloween 3, my gosh, it's brilliant. It's one of the best of the franchise. And then, of course, you know, all this shit is topped by Halloween 4, which has incredible opening credits. And, and it's kind of like, you know, at that point it was this ballsy, very successful shift away from the simple jack-o'-lantern. And then you get this with a boring soundtrack that only gets interesting at the very end, and you get some ambiguous shots of somebody slashing sloppily, say that five times fast, slashing sloppily, uh, someone slashing sloppily at a pumpkin. It's overrated. Um, I, th I, think, I think a lot of people believe that this is a great opening credit sequence, and I don't know why. I can appreciate it, because it's the last time that we get the jack-o'-lantern credits until Halloween 2018. 
Then all of a sudden, I don't know why, but all these filmmakers decided, yeah, whatever. So this, I guess, we can say it marks the end of an era. Uh, unfortunately, this movie marks the end of an era in more ways than one. Um, okay, so you get the overrated opening credits, followed by uh, my favorite, previously on, Halloween. Please ignore the fact that the mask you are currently seeing is different from the one that you'll see in 30 seconds. I mean, I hate this shit. Whatever, I mean, I guess at least it, it kind of, it pulls the Halloween 2 move of, of picking up where the previous one left off, which is fun. But here's what you, what, what, I just don't get why we need to see Michael's process. I'm with Dave McRae on this one. You don't need to see Michael in vulnerable situations. We don't need to peek behind the fucking curtain. He's the boogeyman. That means he does boogeyman shit. It's like Brad Pitt's line in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm here to do some devil shit. But seriously, we don't need to see Michael's process. We don't need to see him swimming to safety with this fucking hermit and his parrot Snooky. Which, by the way, I love that the parrot's name is Snooky. I think this movie's opening might have been more respectable if it was actually Snooky from the Jersey Shore. Um, and then two things happen here. One is that Michael tries to kill this guy, but he passes out, which is ridiculous. But you know what else is ridiculous? The fact that this guy says, huh, he just tried to kill me. Let me save him and keep him around. What? Okay. Also, does he not, you know, know that maybe, like, I don't know, calling 911 is a thing he could do? Uh, the second thing that happens here is that we get to see this fucking gem of a mask. Michael Myers in this movie is some Ichabod Crane-looking motherfucker. If the Halloween 4 mask was like a cheap Party City Michael Myers mask, this is one of those masks, uh, masks where, where you have to do a double take, and you're like, wait, that's not even Michael Myers. Halloween 4 is like the quintessential cheap-ass Michael Myers mask. This is like one of the masks that the guys from Wham! review in their worst mask series. This is bad. Then I did a little digging, and I learned something interesting. This mask was made by none other than Greg Nicotero from The Walking Dead. Yup. Greg Nicotero, who today actually does some pretty damn awesome work. Uh, I think he, he did, he's, he's been working on uh, uh, Shudder's Creepshow. Okay, but he made this mask. Now, granted, he was young. This was one of his, his earlier projects, but still, this is bad. And listen to this quote. I wrote this down. Listen to this quote from Nicotero. This shit makes me cringe. He said, and I quote, Mustafa Akkad kept saying that he wanted to go back to what the man in the first Halloween looked like. We looked at pictures and sculpted the mask. When we got to Salt Lake City, they wanted the nose and eyes to look bigger. So we added latex appliances. Okay, so Mustafa Akkad wants the mask to look like the original, and we get this. Cool. The last thing I'm going to say about this hermit is that sometimes I'm actually okay with it because it reminds me of Bride of Frankenstein when that blind dude takes in the monster. Um, you know, sometimes if I if I'm if I'm giving this movie more credit than it deserves, I just I'll say, oh, it's it's an homage to that movie. You know, it's 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 1989's version of a monster movie honoring one of the movies that started it all. Okay, but you know, it still fucking sucks. It's still dumb. 
the great part is that then the movie skips ahead to Halloween Eve. What the fuck is Halloween Eve? Call it October 30th. Halloween Eve does not exist. All Hallows Eve Eve. What the hell? I literally, I literally researched it to see if Halloween Eve is a thing. And guess what? It's not. But we skip ahead to fucking Halloween Eve and we're at the children's clinic in Hanfield. If you take the cheesy direction, the cheesy soundtrack, the disappointing plot twist, uh, and, and you put them all together, this is the point. About six minutes and 41 seconds into the movie, in which I usually say, I can't watch this shit. When I say the disappointing plot twist, I mean the fact that, that I guess Jamie actually did not kill uh, her mom. Okay, so like the whole she's going to be the killer thing now, the twist is that no, she's not, and she just ends up in a hospital bed. Uh, you put all this stuff together, literally six minutes, 41 seconds in, into the movie. I looked at it because I was like, this is the time that I usually think I have to stop. I can think of literally four occasions in the last two years when I tried to watch this movie and I stopped watching right around this point. Because at this point, I've seen enough to know, yeah, this movie's as bad as you remember. Um, and, and to go back to, to what I was saying, I talked a lot in the, in the last podcast about how stupid the Halloween 4 ending was. Because it leaves you with, with, with bad options. You know, only bad options. Either Jamie is the killer, or she has a stupid fu fucking uh, telepathic connection with Michael, and maybe they work together. Because apparently, she's evil now. And this movie says, you know, th th this movie looks at that, and is like, hmm, about her being evil. Nah. And then it undoes it. So now she's just a mute because science, and yeah, the, the telepathic connection is still there. So she is just telepathically linked with her uncle. Things are dumber than ever in this movie. And I just want to say at this point that I really respect Donald Pleasance for saying point blank in his interview with Fangoria when he was making this movie, that he was disappointed in the director's choice to retcon the whole Jamie murdering her mother thing. It's an absolute cop-out. And it leads to this cringeworthy shit where Danielle Harris is just overacting so badly. And she's like mute screaming and she's mute crying. Uh, and that nurse is yelling, Jamie, Jamie, please, please watch this scene. And just count the number of times. They say, Jamie. As if the nurse doesn't say it enough, then you have the doctor saying, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. We know that's her name. Shut up. And everyone is acting as though their life depends on it. This is like how people would act if they were performing for Kim Jong-un and he told them to impress him or, or like get shot by a firing squad. Everybody in this movie is overacting. And from what I know of our buddy Dominique, I have a feeling it's his fault, because from what I've heard, he liked to exaggerate things. He liked them uh, to be over the top. So from what I've read about him, I would absolutely believe that he told the cast, no, go, go bigger on that line delivery. Let's get more dramatic. Um, and and just, just to say, there is a distinction. Yes, the security guard at the beginning of Halloween 4 is overacting. 
but it's charming in this sort of B-horror movie way. It's It's got, like, over-the-top Vincent Price vibes to it. This feels embarrassing. And here's the thing about Halloween 5. You might think, oh, it's a shitty movie, but at least, you know, it's, it's got some good kills. No. No. Usually you can say that about a horror movie. You can't say it about this one. Look at how the fucking hermit is killed. We don't know how he's killed. You can't even watch this thing just for the sake of enjoying uh, a badass cinematic bloodbath. You don't get one. But thankfully, if you can make it all the way to the 9 minute and 40 second mark, you get the one redeeming quality that this movie has. Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis. And I'm going to talk about it more, but this movie has a fucking batshit crazy Dr. Loomis. And there are some genuinely awesome moments with him. But beyond that, there is nothing else of any value to see here. Um, but speaking of, of Loomis, I do want to say, Loomis pointed his gun at Jamie at the end of Halloween 4. He tried to kill her. The doctor even says, I see that you still want her dead. This is a known thing that Loomis wanted to kill this child. So, of course, the government decided, yeah, he should be her doctor. Good idea. Also, we have Ellie Cornell, who's back as Rachel. And obviously, Rachel in Halloween 4 was an excellent character, insofar as she had a pretty damn solid character arc. In this movie... She's back for 20 minutes. Here's my issue with that. They replace her with Tina. That's like, that's like going in to upgrade your iPhone and walking out with like a Motorola brick phone. But like a brick phone that just makes this wailing noise and it won't stop and it annoys the fuck out of you. I mean, this is an atrocious step down. And... That's my biggest issue with it. I know that some people, some people say that they disrespected, you know, the character of Rachel by killing her off so quickly. To be honest with you, and I'm going to talk about this uh, again, I imagine, you know, in my Halloween 6 episode, but I don't believe that you can disrespect a character. Technically, any character in this franchise, you know, with the exception of Michael Myers, should be considered disposable. You know, I think, I think that we should believe that anybody could be killed off at any second. That's where suspense comes from. You wouldn't give a shit about a slasher movie if you knew walking into it that everybody was going to survive. You know, are, are some characters more important than others? Sure. But you know what? I'm sick of all the fan service in Hollywood. Like, oh, that character's too beloved. We couldn't kill them off. Whatever happened to killing your darlings? The issue with writers today is that they fall in love with their characters and they don't have the balls to do something risky with them. Or they get caught up in fan service. Case in point, The Walking Dead. I suffered through a shit ton of that show when I probably should have given up. But you know what the last straw was for me? When they allowed fans to neuter Negan. Remember uh, when, when Negan killed Glenn and then he killed Abraham? And it was like, there was a whole lead up to that, a lot of controversy. I was kind of pissed off about the cliffhanger too. Okay, but then we get the payoff. He kills Glenn, he kills Abraham. And it felt like everybody was up in arms about, 
you know, how quote-unquote cruel and wrong it was for them to kill those characters off like that. You know, people were like, oh, the show reveled in it, and it, and it, it was it was disrespectful to those characters, and it, it felt wrong. It felt unethical. No, 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 no. That was one of the best moments of the show, period, because this is fiction. These characters are not real. Storytellers tell stories to blow us away. And we live in a world where it feels like we are running out of surprises. So, spoiler alert, but the end of Stranger Things Season 3. Skip ahead like 15 seconds if you don't want to hear it. Okay, Hopper is supposedly killed. And then we learn that he's coming back in Season 4. So you literally made me cry at the end of Season 3 for no reason because you didn't have the balls to keep him dead. Even look at this franchise. Hawkins. Hawkins is dead in Halloween 2018. I don't care how much you like Will Patton. I like him too. But let him be dead. But nope. He's alive and he's clinging to life so that he can be a badass in a wheelchair and Halloween kills and Halloween ends. Guys, we have to stop compromising. Let your characters be dead. Um, anyway, all of this is to say... I love that this movie actually has the balls to kill off Rachel so early, but Tina is an absolute abomination of a character, and if you were going to get rid of Rachel, then you needed to have a better replacement for her. Before we can get too excited about seeing Rachel return, somebody throws a rock through the window with a note that says the evil child must die. Okay, I basically see two options here. Either Michael wrote this and he threw the rock through the window, or the man in black did it. My assumption, although I think maybe I'm giving this movie too much credit, is that it's the man in black. But my God, the thought of Michael writing this note with pretty solid uppercase lettering, by the way, and even uh, an underline for emphasis, um, and then rubber banding it to a rock and then throwing it in the middle of the day. How fucking dumb is that? Now, obviously, The Man in Black doesn't make it any better, but the whole concept of The Man in Black is just patently stupid, so I could forgive that a little more easily. Michael should not be associated with stupidity. Um, and skipping ahead a little bit, Rachel's back, Michael's stalking her. This scene, it just, it makes me think of Mike from Wham saying, tuck in your fucking mask. I'm sure that Don Shanks is a good guy. And I would like to think that even he sees problems with this movie. Um, I've, I've read a lot of interviews with him, and he, he's, to his credit, he's pretty diplomatic. Um, but he, he did reveal some crazy shit about Dominique, though, um, because apparently that dude, like, for some reason during filming, numbers were very important to him. Uh, according to Shanks, he, he, like, he went and met with local witches, and he wanted to shoot certain things on certain days, and apparently he had stipulations about his hotel room number, and he turned his bed a certain way. I am not kidding you. You can look this up, Don Shanks' Halloween 5 interview. Uh, it's one of the first things that comes up. Fucking crazy shit. But even after telling those stories, Don Shanks will not trash the movie. Uh, or, or Dominique, and I can respect that. But I have to think that he watches this thing and he has some problems with it. And speaking of the scene with Rachel, 
I always trash stupid decisions in slasher movies. You know, um, often people make such dumb decisions that they deserve to get killed. But to her credit, once Rachel realizes that Max is gone, Dr. Loomis, he tells her, you got to get the fuck out of there. And she does. Um, you know, you, you would think that maybe the dumbass would run upstairs to put some clothes on or something. But nope, she bolts right out the fucking door. Good for Rachel. I do always laugh, though, when she runs to the neighbor because this dude looks at her like, well, shit, it's my lucky day. Uh, unfortunately for Rachel, the police officers who come to help are the notorious police officers from Halloween 5. I feel like enough has already been said about these dumbasses and their, and their fucking clown music, but I think what really astounds me is that they are one of the biggest embarrassments for this franchise, and yet... David Gordon Green and Danny McBride pay homage to them in Halloween 2018. I don't think I will ever understand that. And the thing is, just as those cops throw off the tone of this movie so badly, it's definitely a huge mistake to include them in Halloween 2018. And it does something similar in throwing off the tone because you jump from Michael stomping on uh, Sartain's head to a lesson on fucking Bon Me and that guy's shitty brownie. I, I guess, you know, the, the one redeeming thing is that we didn't get the, the Ringling Brothers band like we did in Halloween 5. Uh, I, I can just, I can hear Dominique. We need the music. Sorry, guys, I, I can't do a French accent, so I, I guess you'll get a piss-poor attempt at, at an Italian accent. We need the music. Okay. Uh, I've already said enough. Loomis is the reason to watch this thing. And, and... What I, what I do love about this movie is that by Halloween 5, Loomis has been pushed beyond his breaking point. I always say Halloween 4 is peak Loomis because he's starting to lose it. But he's still Loomis, and we can still embrace him as the heart of the movie. You know, even if you don't like Jamie or Rachel, you still have Loomis. In Halloween 5, he's so far gone. You know, like, he's really far gone. We have this moment... After, after, you know, Rachel's, like, so-called false alarm. Um, and Jamie is sobbing, and, and Loomis is, like, demanding that she tell him what she knows. And I get it. I understand the urgency. But the guy at this point is, is so obsessed with Michael, and he sees value in nothing but finding and destroying Michael. But even so, any Loomis is great Loomis. Classic Loomis in Halloween 1978, great Loomis. DLC Loomis in Halloween 2, uh, uh, who's basically classic Loomis with a little more edge, great Loomis. Peak Loomis in Halloween 4, who's over this shit and on a spiritual mission to destroy Michael, great Loomis. Batshit insane Loomis in Halloween 5, great Loomis. Mellow old Loomis in Halloween 6, great Loomis. They're all different Loomises but they're all great. And I mean, come on, no matter how much anybody hates this movie, you have to admit that in my heart, I knew that hell would not have him is one of the best lines from any of these movies. What Loomis didn't realize is that hell is basically being forced to be around Tina. So they might as well call this thing, this, this thing, Michael goes to hell. Uh, at the very least, I know I went to hell when I watched this thing. Um, but what they did here, I would bet this was Dominique's choice. Um, 
they decided to take a girl who, to be blunt, would normally be the slutty girl who gets killed, like, I don't know, second. And they said, what if we made her our lead actress? And then, as if that wasn't already a bad enough idea, they named her boyfriend Michael. Again, I'm just going to say this was Dominique's choice. We need more Michael. Okay, so Tina runs off with Michael, and then suddenly Jamie's getting chased by Michael, and the children's clinic, it turns into, like, fucking Halloween horror nights, to the movie's credit. I do think the scene with the sheets, while, like, absolutely idiotic and nonsensical, visually, it's pretty cool. I think there are, there are a few moments here, here and there, where, call me crazy, but I think Dominique is an okay director. There are moments where I feel like he has a little bit of an ability to come up with a cool visual. But then he reminds me that he really had no business directing. Uh, uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'll try to give him credit for this whole sheet sequence, though, even though it's dumb. The sheets, the sheets. We need, we need the sheets. Okay. So, Jamie, she goes back to her room. We get Dr. Loomis interrogating her again. The man is, like, he, he's shouting at this little girl. He's shaking her. Honestly, I feel like Dr. Loomis doesn't believe that being mute is, is like, a legit thing. He's acting like she's just protecting Michael, and somehow they're on the same team, and she has some affinity for him. But, uh, I, I don't know. I, I never really got that sense, seeing as, like, I don't know, she was just running away from him. Um, but the, the issue with this movie is that it's so fucking confusing. Because I don't think anyone knew exactly what they were trying to accomplish with this movie. So is Jamie kind of sympathetic to Michael? I have no idea. And I don't think they knew. But I don't think so. But I'm not sure. Because they weren't sure. Two things about Loomis. The first is that in this movie, he only has two volumes. One is like quiet and, and kind of weak. Like he can barely talk. And then the other is shouting. You know, he jumps back and forth depending on how he's feeling. Um, you, you gotta love Doc, uh, uh, Dr. Lee. You gotta love Donald Pleasance. But the second thing is this. I'm really bothered by the fact that so much of the first half of this movie is just Loomis begging Jamie to use her fucking stupid telepathic abilities to communicate with Michael and see where he is. Obviously, part of my concern is that this explicitly supernatural bullshit is just moronic. Halloween 5, so it came out in 1989, okay, came out one year after Friday the 13th Part 7, and that makes a lot of sense to me, because 1988 is technically when both of these franchises committed to the notion of telepathy, and, and I guess for Part 7 it was also like telekinesis, whatever, tell us stuff, uh, playing a role in their universes. Jason versus Carrie is absolute garbage. And you know what? So is Halloween 5. I, I don't know. Some, some genius Hollywood producer out there just decided in 1988 that telepathy was going to be the flavor of the month. Uh, I would like to have a word with them. And then our buddy Dominique, he does two things that prove that he knows nothing about directing, nor does he know anything about the Halloween franchise, which, by the way, anyone should know. Uh, I assume that you've heard this quote, but if not, I just really want to share it. Okay. He said of this movie, and I'm, I'm reading, this is, this is a, a direct quote. It is a question of cat and mouse. 
and we see the cat, and we see the mouse. The mouse knows about the cat, and that cat is going after the mouse. And that's about it, I guess. There you have it, folks. Halloween 5 is secretly a live-action adaptation of Tom and Jerry. We should all know that Dominique had no idea what he was doing here. But, okay, in case you weren't sure, a few things show up that, that kind of show us that he doesn't know what he's doing. First, we get the man in fucking black, and his boots were made for walking. Um, plus, in conjunction with that, I don't want to leave this detail out, Michael has a new tattoo. Because apparently, I don't know, he drank too much over spring break and he woke up with it one morning. Uh, but let me focus on the man in black shit. I'm bothered by the notion that somehow we needed another antagonist in a series where Michael is the guy. You don't need anyone else. You know, you especially don't need some boring, generic asshole like the man in black. Um, I think I would be less pissed off about it if Dominique actually had some artistic vision, but he did not. He just thought this would be a cool visual. It would add an interesting element to the mystery, uh, uh, element of mystery, right? That's pretty much verbatim what his rationale was when he was asked about it. So that's how far we've fallen at this point. The second thing that Dominique does here is that he absolutely fucks up the Myers house beyond recognition. It's an atrocity. It looks absolutely nothing like the original Myers house. And I get it. I understand that they were in Salt Lake City and not Pasadena. They didn't have access to the original Myers house. I get it. But for God's sake, you can't do any better than that. And, and honestly, I, I, don't, I, I don't even think Dominique cared. He was probably proud of that house. This, this is the better Myers house. It endorses lust. Okay, I, I, I don't know. He probably had some, some very artistic reasoning for this. Uh, and then, okay, then he gives us another piece of evidence that he had no fucking clue what he was doing with the Halloween movie. Just in case you were still not sure. Michael goes after Michael. Dave McRae always says, you don't put Michael in broad daylight. And he's right. You don't. Or if you do, it's very sparingly. 1978? Okay, sure. We get like those, we get a little bit of him in the daylight, but it's very quick. You barely see him. Okay, this is why. It's so bizarre to see Michael standing out there in a shitty mask, stalking Michael. Although it's like, I don't know, 10 seconds, so not much stalking. But you get the point. You need the nighttime. You need the moonlight. You have to be artful in how much you show and don't show. You have to light the mask correctly. You have to keep the boogeyman in the shadows because he is the boogeyman. He's not out there strolling around Hanfield in the middle of the day. I have no idea. I have no idea what Dominique was thinking. It's, it's a juxtaposition of, of contradictions. You have the shadow man and, and the sunlight. Okay, I have no idea what my fucking accent has become. It's, it's cringeworthy, sorry. Uh, but that's Dominique. Okay, the shadow man. Okay. Fortunately, we skip ahead, and now it's nighttime, and the Haddonfield Children's Clinic is having a fucking Halloween party. Uh, Jamie, she has, she has a little boyfriend, and he gives her his bracelet, because, as Rachel would tell us, he's ready to make a commitment. And now, Michael, Michael Myers, because the other Michael is dead, remember, he pulls up like a madman, and he honks the horn, 
at this point, you might as well play fucking Born to be Wild uh, over, over fucking footage of Michael and his Ichabod Crane mask. This is ridiculous shit. And it goes without saying. But Halloween 5 is obvious proof of my argument that if you make a sequel to Halloween 1978, it's just not going to be successful in following it up. It's just not. This is this is one of the, the easiest, most blatant examples of a shitty sequel. Um, you know, yes, you have the man in black. You have the thorn tattoo and, and the telepathic connection. And, you know, yeah, all those things make this a god-awful sequel to the original. But you also just have to recognize that the way that Michael acts in this movie, it taints the way that we look at him. You, you, you've not only shown us too much, but you've shown him doing stupid things like swimming to safety and getting saved by a hermit or driving a car like a hooligan and honking for Tina to come out. So was, was Michael like listening intently to her evening plans? And he was like, okay, all right, let me, let me write this down. Was he like, I, he, he, what? He just, he just knew how to execute things to a T. He just wrote it on a post-it note and kept it on the dashboard of, of the car. You see, this is just, this is where it raises so many questions. And it demystifies Michael so badly. You know, hasn't he learned that speed kills, by the way? Uh, the guy drives around like Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, that's two references to Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in one episode. So there you have it. Um, also, why does he listen when Tina yells at him to stop so that she can buy cigarettes? What the fuck? He acts like a complete bitch, which I'm going to come back to. I will say, though... Um, to give the movie a little bit of credit, I do feel like this is the one moment where maybe the whole Michael and Michael name choice pays off, because it is kind of like darkly humorous, dramatic irony, um, you know, because she's calling him Michael. She has no idea that he is Michael, but not her Michael. But anyway, Tina's in trouble, okay? Tina is in trouble, um, and Michael's not wearing the actual... Myers mask, which is fucking stupid, and I hate, but at the same time, the mask that he puts on, I, he might as well have just worn that around, because I think it's less embarrassing. Um, but Tina's in trouble. This, to me, is a far less effective scene than it should be. Look at something, like, even from the beest of the B movies, like the New York Ripper. It's, it's this truly, truly mediocre Lucio Fulci movie, but it features a scene where this woman is trapped with a killer in a car on the Staten Island ferry. And it is such a gross and uncomfortable scene. It's one of those like sleazy B-slasher scenes that kind of makes you feel like it might be a little wrong to watch it. This scene might as well have just committed to it and like captured a similar energy. Um, and for like half a second, I thought that maybe it was going to. Um, and then I remembered that no, it doesn't because this is a shitty movie. Uh, and then, and then, because Tina is way too valuable to this movie, she's saved by the cookie woman, uh, and then she goes to see Jamie, who can now talk again, because, again, science. But Jamie, she can't talk enough, apparently, to tell Tina that Michael Myers is coming for her, so, uh, okay. In general, one thing I... I there's a lot I don't get about this movie. But one thing I really don't understand is why these people love Tina. 
Like, they love Tina, and I don't get it. She shows up, and, like, Loomis is excited to see her. And then Jamie is so excited that she can talk again. We're talking about the fucking annoying girl who says, I'm never sensible if I can help it. What the fuck? Uh, and then Loomis is so concerned about her that he says to the clown cop friends, keep an eye on her. And for once, I'm thankful for these stooges because at least, the, uh, you know, we know they are not going to keep her safe. Then we go to Tower Farm. Just like Halloween 4, this movie has another fake Michael Myers. I guess like Halloween 2 as well. Okay, fine. But let me just ask a question. Why the fuck would anybody do that? Like run up to the police dressed as Michael Myers. I don't, I don't buy the notion that somebody would do that. I guess drunk teens are stupid. But I don't buy the notion that like... I don't even buy the notion that somebody would be able to get their hands on a Michael Myers mask. But I, I think I've already been over that. But anyway, okay, they do that stupid shit, and then they're like, okay, let's go hang out in the fucking scary barn. Because I guess Dominique was like, well, Friday the 13th Part 3 is an absolute masterpiece. You know, that movie spends a lot of time in a barn. Let's do that. Here's the sad thing, though. Halloween 5 is an abysmal excuse for a Halloween movie. Yet I still think... It does more to try to build suspense than Halloween 2018 does for most of its runtime. It's really sad, but I think it's true. You know, I, I think I think of a few moments. Rachel walking around the Crothers' house when Michael's stalking her. Both of those scenes, the one where it's it ends up like she gets out of there, okay, and then the one where she's actually killed. Both of those scenes are actually somewhat effectively suspenseful. Then you have Tina walking around the house later on, unaware that Rachel's dead. That is also decently suspenseful. Yeah. Um, the barn scene, honestly, it's it's kind of a decent scene. It's got suspense. Uh, the only thing about it is it has so many fucking fake outs that I kind of find it annoying. You know, at, at a certain point, like, cut it out. At a certain point, it, it just becomes fucking cheap and cheesy. And it's not even funny like Halloween 3. It's just annoying. But I'm trying to give the movie credit. Where I will not give it credit is with the kills. Because I remember when I was a kid and I, I you know, I had seen the original um, and, and I was I was going online and I was reading as much as I could about the sequels that I wasn't allowed to watch. And I remember sitting and reading about the kills from throughout the franchise and, and I was mesmerized by the description uh, of Michael's kills in the barn. You know, back then I, I thought it was so cool that Michael would be using a pitchfork and a scythe and, and killing people in a barn. But, you know, I, I was 10 years old then. Today, logically, I have a lot of issues with this because it does feel like Jason, not Michael. I know Dave McRae has said, you know, that he has some concerns with how Halloween Kills is going to be executed. Because at a certain point, you show Michael getting so creative and, and using these sorts of tools and, and shit that he wouldn't use, and it just becomes Jason. But I would I would still be okay with this, you know, with this Jason shit, if not for the fact that this movie, which is not a respectable movie, thinks that it can earn respectability by not showing the kills. <laughs> I'm, I'm hesitant to say what I'm about to say. 
because this is not something I say often. Just show the kills. There is no other reason besides Loomis for me to come back to this movie. So you might as well just make the kills entertaining. You might as well just make them gory and fucking over the top and just throw art out the window. And they don't. This movie is 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 like Friday the 13th level bad. There are no characters. Jamie's back, but this it's like Laurie in Halloween 2. She's only a character insofar as she's the same person who was in Halloween 4. But the movie, it doesn't do anything with her besides telepathy bullshit. You know, it doesn't make her more interesting. It doesn't really give her a new character arc. Um, Rachel, who had a great arc, well, she she's dead. Loomis is just batshit crazy. That's it. There is no greater arc for him in this movie. Tina, ha, <laughs> yeah. So no characters whatsoever. It's just a bunch of cannon fodder in this thing. So why not just own it? Why not just own the fact that you've made a Friday the 13th level shitty movie and just show the kills? Just have fun with the kills. Um, to his credit, and I haven't given him much credit, but from what I know, Dominique wanted to show the kills. He wanted this to be kind of violent. And apparently Mustafa Akkad was like, no, we don't do that. Somehow something changed once we got to Halloween 6, but okay. One thing this movie does show a lot of is Michael driving like a fucking lunatic. Uh, Dominique must have been like, yes, this is this is a slasher, but it must also be a car movie. We need the racing. The audience loves the racing. Okay. I wonder how many people, <laughs> by the way, I, I have offended with this uh, Dominique impression. Um, hopefully nobody. But I assure you, it's, it's all in good, tasteless fun. Um, but seriously, would Michael ever drive around trying to run people over that feels like the one of the most un-michael things um it's like it's like what the joker says about guns in the dark knight they're too too quick you can't savor all the little emotions that's how michael is you know he doesn't use guns he likes to get up close and personal and do the dirty work himself and he revels in that shit so why, after three movies, in which he does nothing of this sort, would he start doing all this demolition derby bullshit? Again, this movie, it doesn't even remotely get Michael Myers right. I'm not kidding you. I always go back, you know, I, I rewatch these movies, and I just take notes on the different things that I want to address. I am not exaggerating. It took me over four hours to get through this movie because I just had such a hard time getting through it and I hate it so much and there were so many fucking flaws that I had to take note of I kept having to pause the movie um I also realized something else and I'm not going to get out of hand here I need to revisit resurrection but I'm starting to think that maybe this is the worst handling of Michael Myers in a movie. I realized about an hour into this thing that I don't think I was like fully registering this as a Michael Myers movie. Sure, you know, I knew I was watching a Halloween movie and kind of taking notes for a podcast. I knew that Loomis was here. But like, to me, watching this movie, it feels like a fucking bad dream not a legitimate part of the franchise. 
I had such a hard time accepting it as a Michael Myers movie. My brain does not want to accept that this is Michael. Yes, I know that Michael gets his ass kicked by Buster Rhymes in Resurrection. But this Michael is actually fucking boring. I don't care about him at all. And the only time that he made much of an impression on me is when he was driving. So that's a pretty damning indictment of this shit. Thankfully, around, you know, around the, the one hour mark, um, the movie decides to do a good thing and get rid of Tina, who I think is supposed to be a hero. Like, this is like like some selfless sacrifice for Jamie. Ah, oh, Tina, we didn't appreciate you. Oh, how we miss you, noble soldier. Uh, fuck Tina. I will give you a cool little detail, though. Loomis walks out to the woods, and it's obvious that Michael is lurking out there somewhere, but we don't know where. When Pleasance shot this scene, it was scheduled to be a day after uh, Don Shanks rapped. And so Shanks, he was just going to head home. But Pleasance came to him, and he was like, could you stick around an extra day and just stand out there? Literally, he wanted him to just stand out there because he said it would help him get into the scene. So Don Shanks stayed an extra day and he stood out there in the woods while Pleasance performed this scene. I think it's absolutely incredible that Donald Pleasance was so committed to this role. And I continue to say, this is a guy who didn't have to devote himself to the character of Loomis. He could have taken his paycheck from Carpenter and left the Halloween franchise behind. But instead, he became incredibly passionate about Loomis, almost became like a caretaker for that character, wanted to make sure that justice was done to Loomis. Um, you know, I, I mentioned, and I've mentioned a couple times now, his, his Fangoria interview. Um, it's just so clear when you read that. This guy, he lived and he breathed Loomis. He understood the character inside and out. And that to me is incredible. And I want to give this movie another compliment. This is two compliments in a row. Watch out. Um, even though the Myers house in this movie is just awful, I do think that it's actually a pretty damn perfect concept to take Michael back to where it all began. You know, if, if you're trying to end this thing, take it there. Um, you know, I, I know, I know we've heard that we're going to get the Myers house in Halloween Kills, um, and or Halloween Ends, I don't know. My hope, this is what I'm guessing, and this is what my hope is. My hope is that we get it in the flashback in Kills. And maybe we get a little glimpse of it, you know, in the present, all, all boarded up or, or whatever. Um, and then Halloween ends, let's go back there, let's have the final showdown there. Um, I always felt, you know, the Myers house just seemed like a, a good place to do that. Um, and I know Dave McRae, you know, look at his, his sequel concept video. That's where he ends it. Uh, so I think Halloween 5 is on to something. I think it's a good idea. Um, anyway, the point being, I guess that it makes sense to have a final showdown at the Myers house. Um... And, and I think it is kind of badass, this notion of Loomis going back to the Myers house to stop Michael. Although, you know, at this point, I think we really do see how fucked up he is. You know, how Michael has just consumed his life. It's like that uh, that quote from uh, 
Nietzsche or Nietzsche, or however you want to say it. Um, you know, dwell not with monsters, yet uh, lest ye become a monster yourself, right? Um, that's that's kind of a little bit of what we see in Halloween Five. He he's literally in the scene. He's using Jamie as bait, and the police are just going along with it. And this, to me, is a testament to the fact that the tagline for this movie was written before the script was completed, and you can tell. I, I find that funny. They were like, okay, this is the tagline, non-negotiable. There you go. Michael lives, and this time, they're ready. No, they're not. They're not ready. Give me that movie. Give me any Halloween 5 that isn't this movie. Speaking of the police... Remember, in Halloween 4, we had a decently tight script where one thing leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another. It's propulsive. It's, it's what I like to call a domino story. You know, one domino falls, it knocks the next one over, and it works. In this movie, what the fuck is happening? What's the plot? What are the police doing? Basically, in this movie, Jamie's a mute. They're hoping she'll say something. She doesn't talk for, like, the first 40 minutes. Tina goes to a party. Michael strikes at the party. Loomis and the police, uh, uh, they respond, and they lure Michael to, to the Myers house. Okay. I... Okay. So, anyway. Not impressed with the story here. Michael shows up. You know, they baited him. Now he's back at the house. Again... He likes using cars to kill. I, I don't know where this came from, but apparently he does. Um, and Loomis finally just takes this, this jump off, off the, the metaphorical ledge, and he just loses it. You know, because you have this officer who wants to leave with Jamie, and he, said, he threatens to kill him, uh, and, and now Michael is coming. So basically, this is a movie where the first 40 minutes are incredibly slow, and then you have like a 15, 20 minute, uh, you know, pointless sequence in a barn party with characters who we don't give a shit about before a showdown between Loomis and Michael at the Myers house, which is probably the only part worth watching. If you're going to watch Halloween 5, the way to watch it is just skip to the last 15, 20 minutes and, and, and like, I don't know, try to, if you wear glasses, take them off so that you can't see what the mask looks like or something. Uh, and, and, and if, if you don't wear glasses or, or you wear contact, take out your contacts and if you have perfect vision, go cross-eyed or something so that you can't see clearly. Just, but otherwise, the whole movie is just incredibly dumb. And I feel like, I feel like quoting, uh, Billy Madison after watching it. May God have mercy on your soul. To be fair, seeing Michael and Loomis go toe-to-toe -to -toe is half cool. Only half because, you know, this to me is Michael in name only. Um, but in the real Myers house, or a house that looked like the real Myers house, with a better mask, maybe this, this would actually be a great scene. But I don't, I don't even necessarily think that's the case. Because the whole premise of the final showdown is a little confusing. Loomis promises that this will be an end to his rage. Why? And like, what? Michael is just a guy suffering with anger management issues? Michael needs to deal with his rage. Uh, uh, 
what would it even mean for the boogeyman to get rid of his rage? Um, you know, just think of how badly this movie fucks up Michael. Halloween, he's the boogeyman. Halloween 2, he's the boogeyman again. He's like Mr. Sandman, apparently. You know, he's on the search for his last remaining sister so that he can kill her. Halloween 4, he's evil on two legs, and he's like the apocalypse. It's epic shit. Halloween 5, I don't know what Halloween 5 wants us to think that Michael is. But apparently he's got a lot of rage he's dealing with. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, as you try to figure Michael out, well, at least, you know, he's got a cool new tattoo, and a he has this, like, mysterious guy who loves cowboy boots. Dominique was just way over his head in this one. He just... He didn't know the first fucking thing about Michael Myers. But a broken clock is still right twice a day. So, you know, I, I, I think people usually give credit to the laundry shoot scene. And I will too. You know, it's nicely claustrophobic. Um, and if you think about it, it's pretty damn scary. Uh, I, I also, I like how Michael props up, you know, the bodies. And, and, uh, and, and then Jamie gets to find Max and, and Rachel's dead bodies. Okay. It's fucked up. And that's interesting. You know what else is interesting for the worst reason? <laughs> when Jamie is lying there in that coffin and she looks at him and says, Uncle? Boogeyman? <laughs> okay, I guess that Michael goes by Boogeyman now. Call me Boogeyman, okay. And you know, you know, you know that Dominique was, was proud of that choice. He, he isn't just Michael. He is what you call it, boogeyman. You know, he thought that was doing justice to Carpenter's vision, you know, with, with this little gem, calling him boogeyman. Hey, boogeyman, you see the game last night? In all seriousness, the embarrassing part is that it works. It fucking works. He puts his knife down. And he takes his mask off, and we, we get this, this moment where you are reminded that Dominique does not know shit about Halloween. And this is a god-awful excuse for a Michael Myers movie. We get to see Michael without his mask on, with fucking long hair, and then the icing on the cake is that you have an eye that is not shot out, by the way, with a tear rolling down his fucking cheek. What the fuck? You know, one of the reasons that I have a hard time watching H2O is that it's supposed to follow the original, but it basically gets everything about Michael Myers wrong. One of the biggest issues I have with that movie is that it's supposed to take place 20 years later, but Michael feels like a younger and kind of goofier version of what he was in 1978. It's awful. This movie has a similar problem. I don't know who this boogeyman guy is, but that ain't Michael. Obviously, this was Dominique's call. He exudes a Michael energy. Because Dominique's thing was that he felt like Michael was complex. That there was an extra element to his personality that set him apart from the typical slashers. But I have a hard time believing that the extra element, Dominique, is that he's a pissy little long-haired bitch. I just have a huge problem with that. The best two minutes of this movie come when Loomis decides that he's going to pull a fucking Scooby-Doo on Michael and he drops the net on him and starts to shoot him with a tranquilizer. Okay, let me ask you a question. I don't want to be too logical about this, but if shooting him six times back in 1978 didn't do a damn thing, 
And then if blowing him up a few hours later did nothing. And then if a whole fucking police department shooting him to kingdom come and knocking him into a mine shaft did nothing. Why the fuck would you think that a Trank gun is going to work? Obviously, Loomis realizes the error of his ways. He realizes this isn't working. So he does it the old-fashioned way with a fucking 2 by 4 um, Look, it's absurd. It's stupid. But it's still kind of badass because it's Loomis. At the very least, this is fun. It's entertaining. And that's more than you can say for the rest of this awful fucking movie. And don't get me wrong. I am not somebody to complain, oh, this movie isn't fun enough. I get so pissed off when people say that a movie like Batman vs. Superman isn't fun like the MCU. Not every movie needs to, to be there to make you feel better. You know, you don't have to have a good time uh, uh, watching every movie. But as a Halloween fan, I should be able to enjoy myself watching any of these movies. Halloween 3, it might be dark, but as I said, to me, it's cinematic comfort food. Halloween 1978, it scares the living shit out of me. And it, it fills me with this sort of like odd existential dread. But it's also my favorite movie. And I have a great time watching it. This movie? I find this movie to be so fucking drab and lifeless and unenjoyable. You want to talk about mood and atmosphere? I see a little bit of what the filmmakers were trying to do to establish mood and atmosphere in this movie but it really doesn't work for me. And I'm not trying to sound nitpicky or sound like Dave McRae, but where are like the blue hues, you know, the blue and the orange that the Cundy established? The cinematography in this movie, it is. It's drab and it's fucking lifeless. It is such a dull movie to look at. And that sucks part of the enjoyment out of the experience for me. Here at the end, it feels like the color palette is just made up of like browns and beiges. What the fuck? I, I can I can hear Dominique. We want the movie to be naturalistic. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I still don't know what fucking accent I'm doing. I'm just so over this movie. And really, thank God for Halloween 6. Because if this had been Loomis's goodbye, what a fucking pity. Pleasance himself said that. To end on that note would have been a pity. Obviously, ending with Halloween 6 too is obviously not ideal either. But at least Halloween 6 understands certain parts of what makes a Halloween movie a Halloween movie. You know, yes, it completely misunderstands Michael. But at the very least, I still think it's a movie that you kind of want to watch. Or, or it's enjoyable. This movie, what does it do? It, it misunderstands Michael Myers. It turns him into a little bitch boy who cries, and, and for some reason he enjoys driving around really fast and trying to hit people. And that's all that really stands out to me from this movie. Uh, I also, also, something else that stands out, sorry, that he stands in his jail cell with his mask on, and he's fidgeting with the chains. Dave McRae has said enough about why you don't show this sort of shit. But it humanizes Michael so badly, and on top of humanizing him, the movie doesn't even try to make any statements about what Michael is. Jamie calls him Boogeyman, but he's also her uncle. In the original movie, there, there is this like very artful ambiguity about whether he was human or supernatural. In this movie, 
he's definitely supernatural, but he also seems to be human. And, and to be clear, this is not artful ambiguity. This is just damn confusion that directly results from the fact that the filmmakers themselves had no fucking idea. So when Halloween 5 gets Michael wrong, you know, it, it does it in a number of ways. And it also does it by not even understanding Michael, you know, in the first place. Not understanding him enough to make a statement about him. Halloween 6, yeah, it swings for the fences and it's a disastrous idea, but at least the movie tries to make a statement and tries to do something. At least Halloween 6 lets us know where it stands. This movie is such a fucking muddled mess of a Michael Myers movie, and on top of all the bad direction and the bad writing and the fact that there wasn't even a complete script, the mask sucks. And then did I mention that Tina is our leading lady in this fucking thing? My God, why would anybody watch this movie? If you like this movie, can you please reach out on Twitter? I need to talk to you. Last thing. The police station massacre when the fucking man in black strikes. This is so fucking dumb. Um, but I think enough has already been said about that. But I want to raise one more point about how fucking confusing this movie is and what a piss-poor job it does of communicating what's actually happening. Because all throughout the movie, Jamie is unhel unhelpful at best, you know, in the search for Michael. She, she does such dumbass things. Like at the end of this movie, she gets out of the police car and she goes into the station. So at times, this movie seems to imply that not only, you know, is, is there a telepathic connection, but that in some way she's being telepathically drawn to Michael and that maybe there's a sort of kinship there, sure. But then you have moments where she's running from Michael or she's trying to save somebody from Michael. So what exactly is the relationship? The fact that I even have to complain about the lack of directness in this movie's execution of an uncle and niece telepathy storyline is a testament to how horrible Halloween 5 is. Genuinely. I always go into this movie hoping that I will walk away with a new appreciation for it. That's what happened with a lot of these movies, even Rob Zombie's fucking Halloween 2. But every time I watch this movie, I'm reminded that this is an abomination, that I will never own this movie unless an incredible Halloween Blu-ray uh, Blu collection comes out, you know, and, and Halloween 5 is a part of it. I, otherwise, I'm not buying this thing. Dominique, send me information. He's not listening to this. Uh, he, he he can send me information about where to donate uh, money to his Down Syndrome campaign stuff, but I'm not going to spend that money on a movie that insults the franchise. I will watch clips of Loomis saying shit like Cookie Woman on YouTube. Uh, uh, but what do you have with Halloween 5? You have a movie that doesn't understand Michael, doesn't understand the franchise, doesn't have the mood and atmosphere and the cinematography uh, that you expect from a Halloween movie. It doesn't have an artistic vision. Um, it doesn't even have a real script. And it doesn't have a director who respects the franchise. Um, honestly, this and this is the most damning thing I will say in this whole episode. I'm honestly curious to see what I will think when I revisit Halloween Resurrection. Because right now, I feel like I might be prepared to move Halloween 5 to the very bottom of this list. I'm going to wait to make that decision, but that's how I feel about this movie right now.
Because in some way, from what I recall, Halloween Resurrection at least knew that it was shitty. In some sense. It was a little more self-aware. Whereas this movie isn't aware of anything. But okay. Alright, we'll get to that. We'll jump off that bridge when we get there. Um, but for now, there you have it. That's my first negative review. Needless to say, when I hate a movie, I hate a movie. I love the Halloween franchise, but this movie doesn't feel like it belongs. Um, this was just genuinely a fucking depressing movie to watch and a fucking depressing episode to have to, to prepare and, and record. I am ready for Halloween 6. That's a movie that I have fallen in love with, and I'm so fucking ready to talk about it next week. Until then, as always, reach out on Twitter. Um, truly, I'm not just saying it. If you love Halloween 5, you please let me know. I want to talk. I really do. Um, so if that's the case, I look forward to hearing from you. But otherwise, take care. We'll see you next week on the Hattonfield Report. Thank you.